Welcome to the Amazing Data Podcast. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back for some more data-oriented show of ours. Uh, so previously, we talked how machines learn to understand human speech. But obviously, to be able to teach the machines some human talk, we need to know it well ourselves. So how is the human brain, another great machine, learns the language? Let's find out and greet Shveta, an interpreter and international business facilitator. Hi, welcome. Could you please let us know a little bit more about you, what you do, what's your job actually about? Oh, hello, everybody. My name is Shweta Ravi. I am a Korean and Mandarin language interpreter. And like you said, I'm also an international business facilitator. So my work primarily revolves around bridging the language cultural, and you could say in some ways the geographical barriers between India, Korea, and other Chinese-speaking countries. As a simultaneous interpreter or as a legal or financial document translator, I try to synergize with the leading corporates and help establish networks for trade and commerce pan-Asia. Okay, so, so far I understand that you know four languages. Me, as a person who sometimes struggles with Russian, which is my native language. That sounds like something from outer space. How you were actually approaching this, um, you know, like the education of yourself, how were you absorbing new languages, which are actually so different in the structure. So English is completely different uh, in its structure and its grammar uh, rather than Korean. I used to learn it myself. So I do remember that um, there's pretty a lot of uh, peculiarities and differences between them. So how are you approaching to to actually learn them in such a high professional level? English is our formal way of education. I've been learning English uh, from the age of five. And um, funnily enough, Korean is a language that I picked up by just watching movies and dramas for about four years during my, while studying in college. So along with my assignments and other projects, I would often put on a movie or so. And uh, I would pause the movie in order to make some notes about what I heard phonetically and what the subtitle said and try to make correlations. And that's how I picked up Korean. Much like how uh, babies learn a language, right? They listen to their parents speak and uh, that's how they naturally acquire the language. That is probably the method which I used as well. But as you said, Chinese is uh, Mandarin is a more difficult language in terms of, you know, the character, the structure in which it's formed. So I took up formal classes. I, I, it's been about seven years that I've been learning Mandarin. I'm still learning. You, one can never say that they have finished learning Chinese because there are like 30,000 characters. Uh, it's quite a rational and a logical language. You know, the rules of Chinese are very specific and they never change. Chinese has no exceptions. The grammar is very specific. So it's more easier to pick up. Um, it actually reminds me about one of the experiments which was conducted um, many, many years ago in terms of trying to prove whether the machine actually understands uh, what it is doing and what is it talking about. There was the experiment called the Chinese Room. The main point was for the player and for the facilitator to be exchanging um, little cards with the Chinese uh, characters in order to make a conversation. But the point is that following the rules of exchanging those characters did not actually mean that the 
player understood those characters. So sometimes I feel that this might be, you know, like a common misconception. If you just know how to use the characters and you know the places where to put them, that does not really allow you to know the language, but it kind of helps you to operate through that. In the very beginning of my years of learning Korean, I have never formally learned the Korean grammar, if you see, but I still could make coherent sentences to be able to communicate with native Koreans. So a lot of them would tell me that, okay, you're deriving the sentence, which makes like about 80 or 90% sense, though it's not grammatically perfect, but you're able to communicate your idea across. You know, just like I said, as babies learn, I may not know the exact science behind, you know, or the lexicon knowledge of how the structure is supposed to be formed. But because I've heard the language and the pattern of use over time, so I know by instinct and insight that this is the way to approach this sentence. And I feel that Uh, it does meet the goal of language, which is basically communication. You know, if my ideas can travel through my thoughts and go to your mind, I feel that the purpose is already served. Is that applicable in terms of the technology for the assistant, for example, or for the support line to be just capturing the idea, but not to be following the full structure? So, for example, when you will be calling to a bank asking for assistance and um, providing some, you know, like broken explanation of your problem to the machine and machine will be giving you the semi broken explanation of uh, how to solve that, that might be actually, you know, bringing you to the right point. So you're making conversation, machines learning, you're learning, but would that actually help you achieve your goal? Well, actually, in this particular case, I must say that if the machine is going to be completely independent of, you know, human intervention, there is a machine, but there is a human behind who is guiding through to make a judgment whether this can be used or not. But If there is a machine that is independent of any human intervention, it's going to be on its own giving advices, then of course, definitely there is something that's lacking and needs to be fixed. You actually mentioned that you were learning throughout corrections from people who were, you know, like knowledge keepers. So the native speakers actually knew how to do that precisely. So and in a lot of cases, this is the approach which is used to educate machines. So they're making mistakes and the human who is kind of the knowledge keeper of the language is uh, making the corrections to them. Would that be the universal approach to whatever you do? So you always need to have someone to be an expert in the topic and in the language, in the speech that they're making making for them to explain that to you and correct you throughout your understanding or maybe at some point that would be you know like a way to not be guided by someone what i'm actually driving from is that i'm a huge fan of future thinking invasion and stuff and what if we sometime come across the knowledge which has you know like no expert in that, you know, like some other civilization from outer space, and there would be no one to guide us through that. What would be the learning approach in that situation? Wow, that's an interesting idea about, you know, a language that none of us have an idea about. There's always going to be this constant evolution. So somebody put in, put on the hat of an expert and quite keep developing software or the language to keep everybody in pace, you know, that this is in trend. These are the words in trend. This is the pattern that we follow. So there's always going to be somebody who is the flag bearer who's going to take the leadership to lead the rest of the crowd. But as for if you see if there is a language that nobody has any knowledge about, then I think 
anything works, right? There's no rules. It's a free ground. And I think there's a lot of room for creativity in that. That would be something really interesting. The technology are moving so fast and they're evolving on an extreme speed. And sometimes you see that various professions are getting eliminated or human impact is getting minimized in terms of what they're doing. I do realize that it's not going to be, you know, like tomorrow or a couple of years, but it also might be not a very professional example to quote sci-fi, but I'm still going to do that. So, for example, if you've seen the uh, franchise um, Star Wars, in the very beginning, there was the this golden metal robot C-3PO who was the interpreter so he knew extremely many languages across galaxies and he was actually working as the interpreter with whoever he collaborated wouldn't that be actually our final destination kind of thing that the interpretation and translation and this kind of support part of your job what you're doing right now would be mechanized and technologized if there's the verbs actually exist and I'm not inventing them <laughs> now uh, to the extent when the job that you are doing right now would be totally okay to be fully shifted to the technological side. How do you think your job is going to evolve in the future and um, what future is actually out there for it and for you as a professional? A lot of people even today are experiencing that some of the jobs that you know, human beings had right now are been completely automized. It's quite dynamic. You know, just like Charles Darwin says that it's not the strongest or the most intelligent species that survives. It's actually the species that adapts best. So it's always a reminder for all of us that, you know, the life that we have today is never going to be constant. It's going to be changing. It's going to be dynamic. And we must be ready to be flexible enough to adapt to the changes you say. When we're talking about interpretation or translation as an industry, well, right now we still have maybe Alexa or any other voice system that may not catch our accents. You know, she may just think, oh, I didn't catch that, is what is the <laughs> reply we get most of the times. But there is definitely going to be a future where everything is going to get automized and there's going to be machines that can do things with more finesse and eliminate any form of human error. So that is definitely a future that's that we are waiting for. But are we prepared? I think that's a question I would leave to speculation of our listeners. So if the world is changing so fast and you do understand and admit that in the future there might be some advances on the side of technology rather than on the side of a human interpreters, for now, for this year 2020, with the crazy year we're living, what makes you special and keeps you in the business? Well, for now, if you see most of the apps that we are using for interpretation or so, they still work on a very structural level. I feel they take the words in a very literal context and just find the equivalent word in the other language and juxtapose that in a grammatical sentence. So if you see the sentence makes grammatical sense, yes. The words have been interpreted into another language, yes. But sometimes it's possible that it doesn't fit in the context. So uh, there is still some room, there's a bubble for context and uh, deeper meaning, which right now the machines or AI and other um, softwares have not reached, so to speak. And that's where I come in to finally be the to make the judgment, to put on the expert hat and choose what information I must take and weed out the information that's unnecessary. 
which very, very smoothly brings us to actually this particular problem. As you've mentioned, that a machine sometimes is very straightforward in what they're doing and how they are translating the context, sometimes missing part of its meaning and not preparing the, you know, like enough of the insight for the person to absorb that. So you know that we always play a little game with our guests. And today I would like you to be sort of in the shoes of a person who has to figure out what has happened and who um, is, uh, who is that person working with. So I have the Belarusian poem, which is prepared by the popular Belarusian poet Janka Kupala, to be translated by both Google Translator and I took the translated version by the lady who has been doing the Belarusian translations for all of her life. Her name is Vera Rich. Unfortunately, she passed away, but she left a huge research work onto Belarusian poetry, and she actually translated a lot of Belarusian poems into English. So I have picked one poem, which was translated by both. And I would be reading you out some of the passages, and I would need you to try to understand who actually translated that a person or the automatical translation i realize that it's a little bit wow open. i'm a detective now <laughs> sure kind of like uh, more of a guess game thing but i'm actually very interested to see what kind of um hints it would give you to actually figure out who is who so let's start and read the very first passage sure i'm excited okay here it goes and say who goes there and say who goes there in such a mighty throng assembled, oh declare, Belarusians. Oh, that must be done by a human for sure. It's more metaphorical and it uses adjectives to describe it in a more poetic fashion. Okay, that is correct. And what they carry in their thin shoulders, on the hands in the blood, on the feet in their shoes, my resettlement. The second one is by Google. Puts it in a very structural, blunt, uh, tasteless Fashion. That is correct. Um, next one. And to what place do this grievance bear? And whither do they take it to declare to the whole world? One is by a human. Well, again, you know, talking about uh, grievances and it's rhyming, right? Declare and bear and Google cannot do that yet, I think. Okay. Okay. And go to the last part. And what is it then? For such so long they pinned, scorned through the years, they, the deaf, the blind. To be called humans. Uh, I think one is by a human. That's just my uh, way of approaching it. That it's more poetic and more detailed. Okay, well, anyway, you got that correct. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This was fun. As a part of the conclusion, uh, you've seen that in terms of the game, there is a very uh, straightforward difference between how people are approaching the translation and how machines are approaching the translation. How do you think, will the machines ever be as poetic as uh, the human translator? Or that would be some perk which only humans have and something that would actually keep them in the business for a really long time? I feel uh, machines, no matter what data we encode in them, they're never going to have those elements of feelings and those elements of perception that human beings possess. So I think this level of beauty, this level of metaphors and the way of, of poetism, it's something quite difficult for me to imagine coming from a machine. Okay, so thank you very, very much for such an amazing talk, even though the technologies are 
so much after us and all around us, it's always nice to know that the human factor and the human empathy and emotional factor is still something that rules and cannot be exchanged for some ones and zeros that easily. Thank you so much for having me here. And I must say it was more of a learning experience uh, where I got to know about and um, how the future can actually pan out to be for several professions and how much AI and other technology related things is so much relevant in the field of interpretation and translation. So thank you for this experience. And I must say I benefited the most out of it. Thank you. Oh, thank you for such kind words. Talk to you next time. This has been another episode of Amazing Data Podcast. My name is Ksenia. Stay tuned for more awesome stories about data and have a great day.